Hello, and welcome to the EuroWhat, episode number 98 for the week of November 16th, 2020. I'm Ben Smith, and I'm joined today by Mike McComb. Hey, Mike. Hello. We are a pair of Americans trying to make sense of the Eurovision Song Contest, and this week we'll be talking about Turkey's history with the contest. Mike, I'm very excited that we get to talk Turkey. Uh, I am figuring out what Thanksgiving looks like this year. It is, it's going to be a solo one just because I have looked at the numbers and they have been bad for a while. Yeah. But it, it's it's great because in one Google Doc, I've gotten to figure out my Thanksgiving. In, in another Google Doc, I've gotten to figure out Turkey's whole deal. Oh, all right. Uh, and any overlap between the two? Like, I'm doing my best to sit on the wealth of food puns that just live in my brain normally. Mm-hmm. And, like, they're going to happen. I, I have a prediction this episode will be stuffed, much like my turkey. Although, just kidding, I will not be, I will not be stuffing my turkey. Much like turkey's history in Eurovision, I will be breaking things down. All right. I tried, <laughs> I tried that last year, and it was worth the, the pre-butchery. All right. This has already gotten to a weird place. Uh- <laughs> I'm, I'm, my, yeah, oh, yeah, no. My, we have a full buffet of, of Eurovision news to get to before we get to the main dish. Yes. Uh, which, uh, first, uh, first and foremost... If you would like to contact us via email and send us a note, send us suggestions for show ideas, etc., tell us we're doing a good job, yell at us for doing a bad job, uh, yell at me to stop me making food puns, uh, that's eurowhatpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, and in particular, we are planning an end-of-year Ask Us Anything episode. If you have any burning questions you've been wanting to ask us since the start of the show, uh, now is the time, although you don't have to sit on that. Again, you can email us at eurowhatpodcast at gmail.com. And if you're more comfortable using Twitter uh, to get in contact with us, uh, our DMs are open. You can always add us at eurowhat. And uh, yeah, uh, Peter did that uh, after our last episode uh, to offer some corrections on uh, one of the movies that we talked about. Uh, I kept referring to Souvenir uh, as a French film. Uh, it is actually a uh the Flanders part of Belgium uh, and a Luxembourg co-production. It's in the French language, and there seemed to be a French sensibility to the film, um, at, le- at least my interpretation <laughs> of it. Thank you for that, Peter. And uh, I've decided uh, as penance for the error, uh, I was going to, I'm going to take Ben's uh, screenplay idea from that episode and develop some sort of miscongeniality Eurovision storyline with a character named Neve Flanders and yes. uh, work from there. So. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, since we are talking about Belgium, uh, one of the uh, news items that came through this past week uh, was that Hoover Phonic, the group that is representing Belgium, uh, this coming contest uh they announced a lineup change uh they are reuniting with geika amert it's a choice i I guess i guess like i feel like when we were discussing hoover phonic earlier in the year one of us had noticed on the wikipedia page that they trade out lead singers every couple of years yes uh although she was with the group for quite a while she was with them from uh, 1997 to 2008 which i think was the height of their heyday and i think they're doing a anniversary album uh which may explain part of the lineup change uh it's just they uh dropped luca kind of unceremoniously they're just like oh yeah she'll still get another single or <laughs> something like it was it just came across as very harsh it's just and... like just like weirdly businesslike i feel like it's a whole thing that we wouldn't be paying attention to otherwise also i think this popped up today is that germany has confirmed that ben dolich will not be the representative in 2021 from the press release it kind of sounded like it was his decision although like 
it is a press release, so it could be written to <laughs> to make it seem like that. But he's pretty young, has a lot of options in front of mm-hmm. him. And uh, from, from the press release, it made it sound like he's just like, hey, I just want to go in a different direction. And being locked into Eurovision for another year, uh, I can understand not wanting to do that, uh, particularly if you have a lot of options on the table. For as many countries as we have seen this season that have already said, yes, we're sending the same person, we're just going to work with the same team. Uh, it also would have made a lot of sense to me if a lot of them said, yeah, like everybody is, everybody has options. Everybody has other things they want to be doing with their career. Mm-hmm. I'm a little disappointed because I really liked his entry last year and I'm very curious to see what he does next. But I liked that direction for Germany. So hopefully they'll at least keep that same vibe. Yeah, t- time will tell. Also dropping today, Albania is really moving along with the Festivali Ikangas details. So... I think it was two weeks ago they announced the names of the songs and the artists uh, that had been selected. Uh, A handful were people in last year's competition, uh, some people who were in the 2018 competition. Erolina Era, uh, who won last year's festival, uh, she was not in the mix. So Albania will definitely have a new person uh, representing them at Eurovision this coming year. Uh, And today they dropped the songs. Uh, All 26 entries are now available on YouTube. Ben, did you get a chance to listen to any of the songs? I have not, but I was very amused all day just watching as Twitter did. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just because just people just going, wow, it just feels correct to be back in a situation where I'm sitting here listening to 30 seconds of a song and going, nope. No. (laughs) I don't know what songs they're talking about, but at some point I will. I gave them all uh, a listen through uh, this afternoon, and it was really good music for like getting work done on a Monday, which um, I don't know if that's really a strong endorsement for Eurovision purposes, but for me needing to get stuff done on a Monday, I appreciated it. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, we'll, we'll go into more detail with the songs uh, when we both had a chance to kind of marinate with them in our next episode. Uh, but uh, in terms of other details for the contest, uh, they're still kind of figuring out the venue situation. Uh, I mean, just given the spike in uh, coronavirus uh, that's been happening all over the world, Options are becoming limited. Right now, the plan seems to be doing an outdoor venue somewhere near Italia Square in the capital of Tirana. And okay. okay. As, yeah. as someone who has been outside recently, it's getting a little chilly out. How are things in Albania that time of year? Um, well, they're targeting December 17th through 26th. Would be really cold in Chicago or Boston, but uh, I did some research on some weather websites, and it's mild uh yeah it's about like 55 degrees on average uh it is like the rainy season uh in december like that's one of the rainiest months in albania so that's probably going to be an issue but just build some fun water effects into your performance there we go that just lean into it i'm kind of excited to see how they navigate this just because like an outdoor venue is its own set of challenges. Um, Mm -hmm. And really like the big challenge right now is the provisional dates are December 17th through 26. That's as specific as they can get right now because it's kind of a weather permitting situation. (laughs) So there's a general format to the competition where it's uh, three days, but who knows how that's going to get divvied up. Hopefully more information will be forthcoming because they've only got a little more than a month to lock that stuff down for whatever reason my brain is just correlating that is like the airbud rule and that there's nothing in the rule book that says they have to be consecutive days 
or that a dog can play basketball. Exactly. Yes. Um, so uh, fingers crossed that Airbud will be representing Albania yes. at uh, Albania Jones. is no. sending a golden retriever. You heard it here first. Yeah. It's great. We love it. There's nothing in the there actually is something in the rule book that says it can't be a dog. Yeah. Yeah. No, no live animals. But uh, yeah, um, <laughs> we'll, we'll see how it goes. I now just really want an Airbud Eurovision movie. No. <laughs> it would, be, would it be a good idea? No, no. there is no, no audience for this yet. Um, Israel. So originally, Israel had said they were going to do 16 songs with two semis and a final. Uh, ultimately, only 10 songs were shortlisted, and mm. they have instead moved to doing an online vote to determine three finalists, where there will be the top two plus a jury save. From there, it will be another online vote with the winner announced on a special titled Our Song for Eurovision, which will happen in late January, early February. Uh, round one voting will start at some point, so... Get your your clicking finger ready. I'm kind of glad that they're trying out a different format. Like this feels very much like what the Czech Republic has been doing the last couple of years, and I think this could lead to some interesting choices. Given given how excited I am about Eden just as a performer, I I want to make sure that she has the best song available. The other major contest to choose uh, their next set of finalists uh, is Istilal from Estonia. They had 156 songs uh, submitted to their process, and they've announced the 24 that'll be uh, competing uh, in next year's competition. Uh, Ugo Saviste, he had a fast pass to the semifinals. So uh, if he submitted a song, he was going to get in regardless of quality. Uh, but <laughs> it sounds it sounds like he didn't even need the fast pass, which is not a surprise because this is this will be his third consecutive appearance at East Ilal. And yeah, he's working with the Dream Team again, uh, particularly uh, Sharon Vaughn. No, no surprises there. Uh, no surprises. There, yeah, but there are a lot of Eurovision alumni in this year's future. Yes. I am I am stunned at like this many. Yeah, like it almost feels like a tournament of champions type uh, situations. A quarter quell, if you will. Uh, so uh, Tanya, who represented in 2014, is back. Uh, Yuri Putzman, uh, who was in 2016, one of my favorite songs from 2016, came absolute last place, Com- uh, which is <laughs> yep, uh, a common place. occurrence for my faves. Uh- <laughs> I was going to say, and like, and like looking at this list, it's a lot of people who have who have recently represented it and also not qualified. So hopefully a fun redemption arc awaits. Yes. Uh, yes. And then the uh, last uh, alum, uh, Koit Tume, uh, who represented Estonia in 1998 and finished in 12th uh, and was also one half of uh, Koit and Laura for 2017, uh, which did not qualify. Sorry, Verona. Um, <laughs> Beloved internet sensation, Verona. Uh, and then the other interesting aspect of this field is it is the first East Ilal since 2012 that Stig Rasta does not have either a song or his own performance in the competition. Yeah, he, he is not a songwriter. He is not a performer. He is not with his band Traffic. And like huh. I saw that blip by on Twitter this weekend when all of the details for this year's Estee Lowell slate got announced and didn't believe it and like literally had to go back through the Estee Lowell Wikipedia pages to just be like, okay, but like where has he been involved? And like, yeah, it's the first time since 2012. Yeah. Yeah. So on the other hand, that doesn't, he's not, he's not doing anything in Estonia this year, uh, but keep an eye on other 
other nation selection processes because it would not surprise me if he pops up somewhere. Yeah, and the actual songs will be revealed uh, on or before December 5th. Uh, there will probably be a, a major YouTube drop uh, around that time. The semifinals are scheduled for February 18th and 20th, and the final is on March 6th. So basically, ECLL is taking place over the entire course of selection season. <laughs> Why are you doing this to yourself, what? Estonia? Estonia. <laughs> We've been over this before. We like you just the way you are. You don't have to do all this work for us. Yeah. Yeah. So um, uh, all of the shows will be taking place in Tallinn uh, this uh, this coming year. Um, usually it's spread out over a couple of venues. But again, with all of the everything happening right now um yeah just trying to limit the number of locations is probably the best strategy probably good yeah uh and that pretty much wraps up the news mike let's talk turkey all right one thing i love about the show and i've loved this year in particular with eurovision again becoming a thing is that i feel like every time i watch a voting sequence i i fill in the gaps in my knowledge of world history and geography mm -hmm. and just international relations Ooh. in diving into turkey's story I, I i i feel like i learned a lot and i particularly did not expect things to get spicy and yet now that i have done the research I'm like oh no this makes a lot of sense yeah <laughs> how, how spicy do you like it uh <laughs> exactly anyways so first off just thinking purely geog geographically is that turkey is one of those nations that i feel like i always have to to quantify for friends when i expect when i explain eurovision in the u.s because the, this could just be my brain but i tend to think of it as a country in asia just because a large portion of its land mass is in asia like a mm. large like the majority of turkey lies on the anatolian peninsula in western asia but there's also a little bit on the balkan peninsula in southeastern europe which means that turkey's neighbors include greece and bulgaria to the northwest Georgia to the north, and Azerbaijan and Armenia to the east. So it does have, like, a lot of neighbors that do Eurovision. Mm -hmm. So my first question for you, Mike, when do you think Turkey joined the EBU? Oh, when it joined the EBU. Uh, I'm sure I've seen this stat fly by at some point. Uh, sometime in the 60s? Uh, like, that. that is not that far. That's, well, it is and it isn't. So Turkey's <laughs> you yeah, can well, say I'm wrong. I I I can. Oh, yeah, yes, incorrect. <laughs> incorrect. Put the buzzer noise in. Um, Turkey. So Turkey's current national broadcaster is the Turkish Radio and Television Corporation, which I'm mm -hmm. just going to call TRT from now on. Mm -hmm. uh, TRT's predecessor, Turkey Radio Radio Lari, was a charter member of the EBU in 1950. Oh, okay. So like when the EBU became a thing, as we discussed earlier this year, Turkey was right. in the mix, although All they right. were only although only offering radio coverage. Right. In 1968, uh, TRT began testing out television transmission, I think, with a New Year's broadcast, and rejoins the EBU as TRT in 1972. Okay. The next year immediately starts airing Eurovision, I think just because that was the point of the EBU, and Eurovision was not just a song contest. It was, here is programming for all of Europe, together. Right. So they start airing the contest in 1973. Two years later, in 1975, they debut their first entry. And then before I dive too much into Turkey's entries and songs and stuff, Mike, what do you think of when you think of sort of a typical Turkish entry? 
Based on the ones that I've seen, and that's mostly through Eurovision again, uh, mainly because I start I didn't start following Eurovision until 2010, and their last appearance was 2012, so that's not a huge sample size. Same. <laughs> um, Same. But yeah, I mean, it seems to be a combination of, like, their most recent entry, like 2010, 2011, were much more rock, kind of trending toward new metal, but uh one that they won with like that is definitely i i think we would call it uh an ethno banger these days mm-hmm. and uh yeah it it seems to be kind of tiptoeing that line where it's it's modern but drawing on a strong cultural influence that will that will be relevant and that was definitely something i noticed as well particularly mm-hmm. looking at like the the most recent decade of turkey stuff mm-hmm but when they first debut in 1975, uh, they send Semiya Yonka's Seninle Beer Dalik Dakika. Seninle bir dakika mutlandırıyor beni. Bir dakika siliyor Understanding a nation's history at Eurovision is like one part that's important is trying to figure out how do they pick their entries? Do they always go internal or do do they do selections, etc.? Mm-hmm. In 1975, they did do a national final with a professional jury and a people's jury. Oh, all right. Those two groups get together. They pick Samiha and the contest takes place in Stockholm that year. So Greece was going to participate in 1975 and then drops out of the contest for what the EBU says are unknown reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are going to know those reasons in like, like very soon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have a guess. Oh. Yes. <laughs> yes. You had not watched a ton, a ton of Turkish entries. Uh, in the past week, I have watched all of them at least twice. Okay. Yeah. And like, there are a lot of them. Yeah. Well, but I mean, it's with, 1975. That, that was it, a while back. That's yes. Like, with, oh. Yeah. With 1975, uh, though, I think it's just that, like, for their debut, it's a slow song in what tends to be a more up-tempo year. Okay. It's the wrong song for the, the mood that year, which which can happen any year at Eurovision. Right. They get three points from Monaco, and that's it. So they Ooh. place last. Oh, dear. Turkey does not return to the competition until 1978. They keep airing the show, but they don't come back until 1978. And I think we need to take a brief diversion to talk about Turkey, Greece, and Cyprus in the 70s. Okay. Yes. <laughs> I think so, my guess is right. <laughs> yes. So, in the 1570s, Mike. Okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Cyprus is mostly a Greek-populated island. Mm-hmm. And then the Ottoman Empire happens, and they conquer a lot of things. And 300 years later, the island is leased to the British who then annexed the island at the end of World War One and completely removed Turkey's claim to the island by about 1923. I promise I'm getting somewhere with this, but like this is all very important information for oh, yeah. why everyone is mad at everyone for many years. Mm-hmm. Um, so the island is its own state by 1960, but you still have an island full of Greek Cypriots and Turkish Cypriots, two groups of people who align themselves with different homelands and who over the course of many years go from living quietly alongside one another in the 50s to just like actively fighting over the island, Mm. trying to partition it by the start of the 1970s. Okay. In 1974, one year before Turkey joins Eurovision, there's a Greek coup followed by a few attempts by Turkey to invade the island and claim it, uh, which results in the creation of the Turkish Republic of Northern Cyprus, Mm. which 
still exists. So that happens in 1983, and that state is only recognized by Turkey. No, okay. Nowhere else, nowhere else recognizes Northern Cyprus as that's right. its own thing. They're just right. like, no, that's Cyprus. Uh, and the the whole point of all of this is that so the unknown reason that Greece withdrew from 1975's contest is in protest of Turkey's entry into the contest following mm. that invasion of Cyprus in 1974. Okay. So that happens in 1975. Uh, in 1976, uh, so I missed that particular Eurovision again recently. Mm-hmm. And so I missed all of the tweets in case lots of people were talking about this. Uh, but so in 1976, Greece's entry for Eurovision is about the Turkish invasion of Cyprus. Oh, Yes. yes. Okay. I remember it was political in nature, and then it was like, oh, I need to go back and look at this, and then I didn't end up going back. Great news. Yeah. <laughs> I have looked into it. Okay. Um. So, first of all, Mike, as always, Eurovision is not a political contest. Drink. That said, uh, the lyrics of Greek's entry, if translated, and this might be why it wasn't super obvious if there was not discourse about this on Twitter or, or during the contest itself. Uh, But some of the lyrics translated mentioned that it's not a camping place for tourists. They're only refugees. And if you see shattered ruins, it's not from other eras. It's burnt by napalm. Mm. Uh, If you see newly dug land, it's not fertile fields. There will be crosses planted on them, which is yikes. Okay. Yeah, just like Greece was not having it. Hmm. And anyway, so Turkey uh, withdrew from the contest that year. Okay. But they still aired it. Right. Uh, except that during the Greek entry, that was censored and replaced with a performance of a nationalist Turkish song. Okay. That I'm was sure the EBU one of, loved that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm just like, they probably weren't happy about it. Yeah. Just like the Jan Olasand of the time, just doing a lot of frowning. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyways, Turkey does not return to the contest until 1978. So in their first appearance, they placed last. Uh, in 1978, they do a little bit better, and they place 18th out of 20. Okay. Slow but steady. Yeah. Yeah. Slow but steady. 1979. Is it Turkey's year? No, uh, because they select an entry for the contest and then withdraw before the actual contest because of controversy over the status of Jerusalem, which feels like 2019 all over again. Mm, Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Again, Eurovision is not a political contest. Drink. (laughs) But it's it's okay because the 1980s are a new decade. Maybe this is Turkey's decade. It's not Turkey's decade. Mm. Um, Although they try something different. So in 1980, they send Ajda Pekan, who is within Turkey, sort of like a music superstar of the time. Okay. They they select her. She represents them in 1980, and it gets them their best placement at the time. 15th All out right. of 19 entries. Yeah. And they also get 12 points for the first time. Yay. From Morocco. So huh. that, can't, that can't be an alliance that's going to get built up because that is the only time Morocco has participated in the contest interesting okay. i'm not surprised that morocco gave them their 12 though just because i feel like both of what they were doing at the time was sort of doing like kind of arabic flair sort of a deal with with also sort of the disco rhythms that are very popular in, in like the late 70s early 80s right and like, it's the, like two underdogs that are two underdogs like, they're on similar supportive. wavelengths yeah so that happens in 1980 in 1981 cyprus enters the eurovision hmm. turkey cuts to a commercial break while cyprus's song airs <sighs> yeah it's just like a whole big thing yeah okay they keep following this pattern of sending like the stars of the time mm-hmm. the stuff they were sending in like the first half of the 80s so like right up until 1984 
kind of feels like it's a step away from like what's going on in what's winning the contest. Like it still feels like it's very disco-y. It weirdly loves to send groups that are two men and two women because like huh. that happens a lot. Yeah. I mean, like I, I really liked the 1984 entry. Like it, it, mm-hmm. in my notes uh, from the list that you gave me, uh, I said uh this is what i want for mid 80s eurovision and Mm -hmm. i think i think there was a modern sensibility but i agree that it is that the way that eurovision is kind of a step and a half to maybe two steps behind what Mm -hmm. the current trend is but it's a little uh, yeah trying to find the group on spotify i was able to find the group i wasn't able to find this uh exact track but i did find a cover of holding out for a hero that they did (laughs) and oh man i need to look that up yeah, it, uh, I can send you the link to it. It's the exact same backing track for the song, but it's just the the lyrics are translated mm-hmm. to Turkish, and just like, all right, this is this is Mike Nip. So <laughs> but yeah, like it, it feels. But yeah, I agree with you. It feels like a step behind what's going on. And if you look at like what wins in 1984, what wins in 1984 is Digaloo Digalay, oh. which yeah, that is admittedly also that. feels of its time, but still feels a little bit fresher than than what Turkey was putting down. Mm-hmm. So the year before in 1983. Uh, Turkey gets their first no point. Ooh. Yeah. Oh. oh, and it is a doozy. Yeah. yeah, this is the one that I sent you. Uh-huh. Like, I, I, like, on one hand, like, no point hurts. On the other hand, I think this was deserved. So uh, Chetin Alp performs the song Opera, and admittedly, I get I got this from one of the Eurovision books where like that just has that where those sometimes have an index and none of them have like their sources mm-hmm. for things like this. But like they claim that it is considered to be the worst it- song of Eurovision history, and I would like a citation, please. Uh, <laughs> the language rule at the time you have to perform in one of your national languages but you can get away with like like one phrase or like a few phrases in other languages mm-hmm. so this song kind of like tries to get around the language rule by doing a bunch of kind of opera quotes and when okay. it's not doing the opera quotes he just sort of just sings the word opera <laughs> opera for three minutes anyways turkey gets zero points this poor man this poor man essentially disappears from public view oh, no. after the contest. Yeah, this is one of the sad stories about Turkey and Eurovision. Okay. Um, anyway, so up until 1984, again, they feel kind of out of step. And I don't know if 1985 is more in step or if it's just me listening with 2020 ears. Mm-hmm. But like 1985, they send MFO for the first time with D Die, D Die, Die. They still have trouble getting to that top half of the, store, the scoreboard. It feels like they're more in step with what's going on. Okay. Throughout the 80s, Turkey is sending their best of the best. And, you know, in between MFO's two appearances, uh, Turkey has both their best performance of the decade. So in 1986, they placed ninth. They're finally they're finally trending towards the top part of the scoreboard. But also in 1987, they get no point again. It might just be that something's getting lost in translation because that language yeah. rule is tricky. Going back to your question earlier about what I think of like, Turkish performance at Eurovision, like, they were very strong contenders and uh uh particularly in the era when i started watching where it's just like oh yeah turkey of course they're going to qualify like it, it's like mm-hmm. that 
that strong. Like they, yeah, like I they're ha- in the same league as like Azerbaijan and and Ukraine and Greece at that time. Uh, I have so. a theory, I have a theory on that, and I think it ties in nicely with particularly with Greece because mm. I feel like Greece and Turkey both in sort of the early two thousands were doing like these big spectacle pieces mm-hmm. where they were making a big deal out of it. But I think there's there's like another part that I think helped both of those as well. Okay. Towards the end of the 80s, Turkey is sending... I don't want to say they're throwing spaghetti at the wall because we haven't gotten to the 90s yet. In the 90s, they were definitely <laughs> throwing spaghetti at the wall. <laughs> but like in the 80s, they're theoretically sending their best and they're still ending up on the second half of the scoreboard pretty regularly. Mm. All of this comes to a head in 1990. So Turkey, still doing their thing, sends Kayahan, who is one of their biggest musical stars at the time, he places 17th in a field of 22. Huh. I think partially just because we're sending our best and they're not, you know, they're not doing that great. Turkish interest in the contest begins to wane, so the nation starts changing their strategy and starts sending unknown singers instead of the bigger mm. names. I rewatched the their performance from the 1991 contest in Italy, and that song is fun, but it, it, it feels like a different thing, and like... Of their of the trio they sent, I think two of them went on to be professional singers. The other one doesn't have a Wikipedia page. Okay. <laughs> but again, like, as I said, it feels like a lot of spaghetti starts getting thrown at the wall in terms of genre. I really like 1993's entry. Like, it, it's fun. And I sent you the video for that one because I liked it a lot and it was fun. Um, my my notes on this are uh, Turkish Shanana question mark. Yeah, so. but, but also, <laughs> Turkey is sending Shanana for some reason. Yeah. I mean, like, you have the proto-epic sax guy in the mm-hmm. mix. Um, my other note is uh, that this group is opening for Chibumato at the Bronze or the Peach Pit After Dark, in parentheses. <laughs> I hate this. So, <laughs> oh, yeah, no. Like, uh, <laughs> I was about to say, yeah, I enjoy this one, but I also did send you, like, going, Mike might not like this. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's just like that, that did feel very of... 1993 or my memory of 1993 yes. where it's like oh i can understand why they would want to send this it did not age well at all no and, it did no. not no. uh but, but yeah no and again as someone who has specifically made a playlist on youtube with all the songs just like once i hit the 90s i'm like wow they're just trying stuff aren't they mm-hmm. all of this trying still ends up with them on the second half of the scoreboard. And this is around the time that relegation enters. Right. Because, okay, so the other interesting point about 1993 is that around this time, due to the breakup of the Soviet Union, Mm -hmm. you suddenly have a bunch of nations who are like, hello, we would like to Eurovision. Yeah. Uh, And the EB is like, we have a specific number. We're going to have like a little semifinal just for y'all and three of you can come and the other four will not. I kind of want to dig into that like at a later episode because that feels very intriguing to me. Mm -hmm. It's like how that worked and how that eventually turns into the the semifinal system. Right. Relegation comes in after after that. Turkey is relegated in 1994 because they have not qualified. Right. So they take a year off in 1994. And then when they come back towards the end of the decade, they're still kind of throwing spaghetti at the wall. Not much is sticking, but they're starting to notice that like, hey, ethno bangers or things that tri- that chased current pop trends with sort of our own heritage tend to do well. Because in 19, I believe it's 96, 97, uh, Sabnem Pekya represents them twice in a row. Mm-hmm. The first time she represents them, she, she places 12th. In 1997, she places third. That is the best Turkey has done at that point. Right. 
Yeah, that 1997 entry, that still holds up. Like, I, mm-hmm. I remember that one getting uh, a lot of praise during Eurovision again. And, yes. and rightly so. And rightly so. That one, that one really holds up. A couple of things happen at the end of the 90s that I think is what helps change Turkey's fortunes in the contest. So mm. first, in 1999, they dropped the language rule. 1999, 2000, 2001, those Eurovisions are just fascinating to me, just because the contest itself is becoming closer to what we know today. Mm-hmm. But also just like a lot of a lot of things are happening. We're getting rid of the orchestra. Uh, we're dropping the language rule. Towards the end of the 90s into the early 2000s, uh, Turkish interest in the contest is starting to build. And the other thing that happens that I think helps Turkey out is that Televote slowly gets adopted and mm. becomes more of a percentage of the vote. Mm-hmm. Because if you look at the 1999 entry for Turkey, I need to find like a better descriptor for for the entries that fit this for me my notes for the 1999 one is that this is one of their belly dance entries because i feel like every every so often like they will just send a female singer who is bearing her midriff and has all of the scarves and is just doing what would what would be a poor taste halloween costume yeah (laughs) even though the song is kind of an ethno banger yeah yeah where where the the costume packaging would just be like eastern song contest contestant (laughs) yes exactly exactly they are they are doing the halloween costume version of the packaging would read turkish dancer but they're doing that first one they're they're trying this on they're trying this on they're like okay cool doing this sort of a deal worked let's do that again let's see if that works and it still places towards like the second half of the of the scoreboard so it doesn't quite work Mm -hmm. uh in 2000 now that the language rule has been dropped they include some English for the first time. Hmm. It cracks the top 10 of the leaderboard. They placed 10th for the first time okay. since, and that's like the first time since 1986 that they have placed on that half of the board. Okay. Their 2001 entry is rough. I did not send it to you because it was bad. Um, okay. <laughs> but but they're, they're playing around with like Latin rhythms. They're still kind of trying oh. some stuff on, seeing if they like it. Uh, they're still staying on the second half of the scoreboard. Uh, and then 2003 happens every way that I can. put that as far in the turkish dancer halloween costume side of things but it still has that kind of a vibe like they're still playing with with those sounds yeah like the costuming of the stage performance would fall into that category but it but mm-hmm. the song itself i think the song itself kind of transcends can, can, can divorce itself from that yeah exactly but like they're they're fine they they're playing they're playing with like the sliders on okay but like how much do we do the costuming this way how much do we do the music this way and they mm-hmm. they nail it Mm-hmm. because they nail it they kind of go back to the same wells again and again right and they don't they don't always work like in 2005 they go back to that with remy remy lay mm-hmm. 2007 uh shake it up Sekarim. that that was a fun one because now the singer is a man they're very adept at sort of picking up what's going on in pop music and like throwing that into the mix as well mm-hmm. every two years like clockwork they seem to do it just because by right. like 2009 doom tech tech i remember that one it places fourth also in 2003 Cyprus gives Turkey eight points, which is the first time that they have ever given Turkey points. Huh. And like, I don't know if it was just the song was that good or if they're like actually repairing their relationship. It might, 
It could be I mean, a combination of the two. I mean, that could be a combination. Good, I'm so. I'm less I'm less sure on that second half just because in 2004, when Turkey is hosting the contest, mm-hmm. Turkey gives Cyprus five points for the first time ever. So again, bridges are being mended. Right. But also during the score portion of things, typically nations will show a map of countries, oh. or a flag, yeah. or you know. Uh, mm-hmm. But anyways. There's one country that Turkey doesn't show a map for. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, they don't show a map of Cyprus uh, during the points-giving section of things because Turkey considers Northern Cyprus its own separate nation, as we've discussed. Right. Yeah. And I, I think that came up, uh, was it 2010 as well? Like, I think there was a map issue involving Cyprus. And yeah, and I, yeah I, think I think that's when the EBU was just like, please stop showing maps. Just like, what so. if we didn't show maps? That would be great, guys. Let's stop showing maps. Yeah. Um, Like, Cyprus is not the only country that Turkey kind of steps in it with that year, though, because they also accidentally, in fairness, uh, and it does seem to be an actual accidentally, not a not a we do not like you accidentally the, they accidentally go to commercial while when they mean to be broadcasting the slovenian entry which means oh. that nobody in turkey sees the slovenian entry oh no yeah uh, turkey Sorry, does slovenia. not give no. turkey, turkey does not give slovenia points that year hmm. uh but in fairness not many countries gave slovenia points that year okay <laughs> uh but 2004 is another flavor of of turkish eurovision uh entry because they kind of send like an alt rock sort of a deal mm-hmm. that year with Athena. You kind of nailed it more with like new metal, and I just like strongly dislike new metal, so that's probably why my brain refused to call it that. But okay. <laughs> but like when Turkey does not send something that is Halloween costume, they send an alt rock song, or or yeah. with with manga they send a new metal song. So right uh, in two thousand eight they send Dali. In twenty ten they send We Could Be the Same. That also worked for Turkey. They placed second that year. Yeah, and that song still holds up. So, sorry, I was, I, I, was just, <laughs> I was just about to say, I think that the kind of alt-rocky stuff holds up better. I don't know. Like, the 2004 entry, and I think it's like, I'm not really into the ska-adjacent part of alt-rock, so that entry did not work for me. Oh, yeah, like, that one, that one is definitely ska-adjacent. and Yeah, but, like, I mean, I, I, I was into uh, Incubus in their heyday, so 20, 2010, like, hit, hit a sweet spot in, uh, in high school, mm-hmm. like, uh, <laughs> memory Two, bank, 2008 so. and 2010, like, both very good entries. I don't know, Doom Tech Tech holds up for me. Every way that I can holds up for me. Mm-hmm. The other ones are just kind of okay. Yeah. Now, with the every other year aspect was 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 it trt that was handling the submissions every year and they just kept alternating the strategy or was it sort of a situation like they have in belgium where it's like uh one broadcaster handles it on the odd number of years and another broadcaster handles it on the even number of years i was trying to dig into that and just figure out okay but like these feel like very specific channels like one person is it's very clearly like two different people are picking have have mm-hmm. very specific tastes uh, I cannot confirm, like, if if that is the hmm. sort of deal. I don't think it is. Okay. As far as I can tell, TRT has, has just consistently been the broadcaster. All right. I, I look forward to getting an email telling me I am wrong, and I would love to know the info because I could not dig it up. 
Yeah, because I mean, it, it really does seem like it could be a case of like, oh, on the even number of years, it's like the radio broadcaster. And then on the odd number of years, it's the TV broadcaster. Uh, Absolutely. I, I would say that the even number ones are maybe a little bit more radio friendly and the uh, the more telegenic ones are the odd number mm-hmm. of years. So. <laughs> well, and then like the only one that felt like an outlier for me was 2006. In that 2006 sort of mm-hmm. breaks my even year rule of being sort of alt rocky in that they it's still it's. 2006 uh they send superstar mm-hmm. and that one's much more pop but it's maybe a little bit closer to what they were sending in odd numbered years mm, okay by the time that we get to the 2010s we have a very good year with manga and then uh the the wheels kind of come off mm-hmm. uh so in 2011 and 2011 feels a little bit closer to the alt rock side like they broke their they broke their even year rule yeah uh and live it up fails to qualify in dusseldorf which is the only time that they have failed to qualify. Yep. Uh, just because if you look at the rest of the 2010s, uh, they do not participate <laughs> at all. Yeah. Well, they were there in 2012, but... They were they were there in 2012. Uh, they, and, like, they kind of go back to their 80s strategy of, like, sending someone who is sort of unknown factor at the time. They send Cam Bonomo. Mm-hmm. And as I have noted, his man boat. Which is such cool stage choreography. I, I, mm-hmm. I, I love that design, but... I remember my Eurovision party in 2012... And the room loved the man boat. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, but going back to the 2011 entry, like I remember that that was the first year where I was doing like daily blog posts about Eurovision. And like, I remember at the time saying like, yeah, it really feels like Turkey's phoning this one in predicting that I don't think it's going to qualify. It just seems like they're just trying to recapture the magic of 2010. But like with an entry that lacked one of the elements that I kind of pulled out from all the clips that you sent me, where Turkey will give you a 30 second instrumental intro before getting into the meat of the song. And you're going to like it. Like it will get you into the mood of just being like, yep, this is a Turkish entry. And yeah, 2011 did not have that. It was just like, eight bars and then going into this really it's like the song after like when you're at a concert and you have like their big opener and then the song right after the opener like it was that (laughs) song yes and uh yeah so sorry turkey you kind of were you were you just so (laughs) just all all of your self-control not you'll play we can be the same Mm -hmm. uh but yeah so in 2012 they send they send cambonomo and love me back my brain weirdly conflates that one with wolves of the sea and it shouldn't like they're both they're both roughly pirate themed i understand why they're stored in similar locations but they're different things brain they are completely different things yes (laughs) yes only one of those songs has like a speed metal cover oh man oh no uh yeah oh yeah oh yeah (laughs) no 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 no. there is a metal cover of wolves of the sea and it actually is fairly good Okay. Uh, uh, but yeah, again, so but yeah, uh, so but yeah, Turkey is back on the board that you're like they qualify, mm-hmm. but they're they're in seventh and like they still good nothing nothing to sneeze at but like they're off their mojo. 2012 is the last time is the last time that Turkey has participated. Uh, they have not returned to or televised the contest since 2013. Oh wow. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They yeah like they haven't televised it like they had, even when they weren't participating in the 70s they were televising mm-hmm. it. Huh. Uh, and I was trying to look into why that might have happened. And I have I have some ideas. Obviously, I was not in the room, so I can't confirm these things. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one thing that ta- that returns to the mix is the jury. And, like, the jury now constitutes 50% of the score. Mm. 
at least part of their success has been sort of the rise of Televote. And now that there is sort of a more balance between the people and music juries, they're, they're starting to slip. Right. Another thing I have in my notes, just because we have been, we have been chided about it previously is like, am I allowed to say diaspora here? Because, (laughs) because they're like, I, that, that was one thing I remember being in the discourse at the time is like the Turkish diaspora is that Turkey, Turkish people are a lot of places. Mm-hmm. And they like to vote for the home country. I'm not sure I buy that. I think what they were sending was, in the, particularly in the mid-aughts, was what a lot of countries were very much into. Because again, you have Greece doing a lot of that. When Azerbaijan enters the contest in 2008, they're very into that that level of spectacle as well. Mm-hmm. It can just be sort of like the the nature of fads coming in and out of of what works in pop music. It could just be that like this was working and was sort of stepping away. Like also, Turkey has been vocal that they do not like the big five getting mm-hmm. an auto qualifier which we have also been very vocal that that like hey why about the big five you guys should do, be, be doing better right if you're going to be there every year like the main notes i could find for like turkey leaving the contest are around 2013 and 2014 but on the other hand like it wouldn't be thanksgiving without like an awkward vaguely political discussion that leaves oh. you just sort of kind of icky on the inside all right um hey. there is yeah there, yeah so in a 2018 interview with the trt general manager uh they they've I feel like they've talked about the jury. They've talked about the big five, but I think it's also kind of an, an issue similar to like Hungary and some of the other nations that have recently decided not play because uh, uh, because they is, is it the man boat that's part of the homosexual flotilla that is uh, oh yeah <laughs> coming like this, into this port. Is, I mean or... I'm not sure it's the homosexual flotilla, but it's certainly homosexual flotilla adjacent. Okay. Uh. Because because TRT's general manager in 2018, I'm going to read some direct quotes here, and I pro- I apologize in advance. They are kind of gross, uh, mm. but cites Conchito Verst. Uh, and, and again, just some of the things that have been said. Uh, we don't consider to rejoin the contest. We have reasons like the voting system. As a public broadcaster, we also cannot broadcast live at 9 p.m. when children are still awake. Someone like the bearded Austrian who wore a skirt, do not believe in genders, and says that he is both a man and a woman. Uh, and then continuing on in just just really doubling down, I have told the European Broadcasting Union on the Eurovision issue that they deviated from their values. As a result, other countries also left Eurovision. There is a mental chaos at the EBU because of its executives. If they can fix it, we can join Eurovision again. Hmm. Yeah. 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 So which, is, are... which is really interesting, like given like today, the discourse is it. And I'm only guessing this because it's kind of like vague Twitter, or at least the way that I have everything muted right now. Uh, was it Harry Styles like wearing a skirt and everybody freaking yes. out about that? Okay. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Harry Styles is on the cover of Vogue in a dress. Okay. That that is what Twitter is is on about. Okay. It's, that is why the internet is a buzz. We we've not really moved the needle. Much yeah. Have we moved the years. has we moved the needle yeah. for Turkey satisfaction? Absolutely not. Probably not. Great. <laughs> awesome weirdly enough just thinking of eurovision again at the end of that quote it's been interesting to see the the sort of as we have revisited turkey just sort of Mm -hmm. the way numbers have jumped for them oh like that was that was the other question i i left you in homework for this episode was like why do you think that we've have seen the uptick in comeback turkey i don't know if it's necessarily an uptick as it is a reminder this is why we keep saying come back turkey because these entries are a lot of fun it's Mm -hmm. a different perspective on music like they bring they bring something that other countries cannot bring authentically to the contest Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. um and i think 
like that is sorely missed. Like I, I don't want to, I don't want to call it like oh, like they they bring diversity to the contest because that that sounds like it's kind of tokenizing Turkey, and that's not that's not what I think anybody wants. It's just like no, like this is this is awesome music, and it would be nice to have that be part of what is present like the overall picture. So. Mm-hmm. I, I think like my particular mental image of Turkey, just because it like when I started watching the contest, it was like 0809 mm-hmm. is is like it's very much sort of rooted in sort of what they were doing in the late 2000s. Although I find what they were doing in the 70s and 80s just as interesting because mm-hmm. I, then I think they were being much more explicit with sort of some of the Arabic references in the way that they sort of just kind of use the same two in the in the 2000s. Right. I don't yeah, know. On that, the other hand, like sense. I have, I have like a list of countries that I would like to come back. I miss Bosnia and Herzegovina. Mm-hmm. Although that that one seems more like budgetary than. Oh uh, yeah, that one that one's like, purely than, budgetary than politics, rather than. So. <laughs> but yeah, so like that is a miniature sort of stuffed turkey run through. It's so interesting going back to like seeing what how a particular country has evolved and adapted throughout Eurovision and. Well, especially with Turkey, because again, like I know them from like their 2000s performances where they were like just sort of a known leader and factor. And I hadn't Mm. realized that that was really only since 2003. Yeah. Yeah. And that 2003 may have been not quite a fluke, but just that it's just like, oh, no, this is like they finally figured something out. And oh, yeah, it was just like the right place and the right time, because with that 2003 performance is like it was only a few points deciding that. I don't know. Do you have anything else? Come back, Turkey. <laughs> yeah, yes, come back, Turkey. Figure out your stuff and come back. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of the Eurowhat. Thanks for listening. The Eurowhat podcast is hosted by Ben Smith, that's me, and Mike McComb. That's me. You can subscribe to the Eurowhat on the podcast app of your choice. When you subscribe, leave us a review, let us know how we're doing, and help other Eurovision fans find us. You can contact us through our website at eurowhat.com and on social media at Eurowhat. Next time on the Euro What, we'll be getting ready for the start of selection season by taking a closer look at the history of the Festivali Ikangas. <laughs>